welcome to this week's episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm one of your hosts. And I am Jeff Randall, the other, other, other host. <laughs> what Jeff's talking about is at the moment we're kind of running on two different streams uh, here on the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Uh, Jeff and I are going to be meeting every other week to right now talk about The Mandalorian. And then after that, we might dive into some of the movies or one of the other TV shows. And at the same time, I'm also recording with um, Riki and Sarah Hayashi on The Clone Wars. And so the episodes of them will be uh, come out one each week and kind of go back and forth. But today, Jeff and I are talking about The Mandalorian Season uh, season 1, Episode 2, The Child. Um, the Child. Yeah. How are you doing today, Jeff? How are you feeling about this episode? Man, I'm <clears throat> I'm excited to continue this discussion about The Mandalorian because every single week that the uh, the show was coming out, I was glued to yeah. Disney+. Plus. I was like, I gotta get home. It's Friday. It's, it's Mando Day. We gotta go. Let's get out of here. Let's get on home. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. I was I, I try to mostly, and I know you and Matt talk about this on the MCU cast, I'm definitely a binger, so I will often wait till a whole show is out and then just binge it all in a day. This one, I couldn't do that. I, I saw the it go live the day it came out, and then I just had to, like, every every week, you know, the moment it went online, you know, find it and watch it. Yeah, and they spoiled us in the first week because it was, you know, it came out on, what, Tuesday or something. Yeah, and then we got and another then... one, like, three days later. Yeah, we got something like three days later that was, you know, it was on a Friday and then they settled into the Friday. So it felt like between two and three was just the longest stretch. And we were like, come on. <laughs> it really was. And then the worst one was between the episodes seven and eight. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> so let's um, let's dive right in. Let's start with, um, first of all, just for, uh, a quick quick for anyone who is following along the show with us. Um means you're watching kind of slowly so I, I hope you're just listening to this at a later point in time but do you uh, have a pulse yeah <laughs> well maybe you know maybe <laughs> someone's waiting for all of our episodes to come out and then they're gonna binge watch the show but i'll just yeah, say that's the right way to go um today we will have full spoilers for this episode itself episode two as well as pretty much most of the other star wars properties but if you have not yet watched the rest of the mandalorian episodes three and following we won't be talking about anything that we learn in later episodes until after we get to a spoiler warning. So you can definitely stick around even if you haven't done that. Um, and then for anyone who hasn't seen it in a while and needs a refresher, or if you just love Star Wars and haven't seen the show but want to kind of follow along with us, let me give you guys a, a quick recap of the episode. It's um, a fairly straightforward plot, even though a lot happens. Um, we start with the Mandalorian having found uh, the child, as we're calling it, the baby Yoda, even though it's not technically a baby Yoda and it, that whole debate. Um, but he's taking... <laughs> well, we have nothing else to call it. Yes. Um, he takes the child. He's coming out of the, the area he was in. He gets in a fight with a couple of locals that I don't know if we quite understand why he does. But he wins the fight, including um, shooting a guy in the back as he's running away from the fight. Uh, with the first time we see that he has a disintegration ray, um, which was kind of a cool callback to when Darth Vader says to Boba Fett, no disintegrations. So yes. it's kind of a nice reminder that the Mandalorians have this power. Um, he comes back to find that his spaceship has been torn apart by Jawas. Um, as jo Jeff was just pointing out as we were talking, Jawas exist not just on Tatooine, it seems. Um, and they have taken, <laughs> taken a lot of parts from his ship. He tries to um, fight the Jawas and get his stuff back, but he's unsuccessful. He goes back to Nick Nolte, um, 
who I forget the name of his character, but I just will always think of him as Nick Nolte. Because um, Guil, Guil, thank you. Um, and Guil offers to help and to negotiate. And with some help from Guil and the Mandalorian coming very close to starting another fight, uh, they negotiate that uh, the Jawas will give them back their stuff if they get the egg. And uh, we were never expressly told this, but people can probably guess, given the Star Wars xenobiology, the egg is that of a large creature that the Mandalorian must fight. Um, the Mandalorian fights the creature, he loses, and he kind of goes into what seems like a like a prayerful death pose with his knife held out of, I'm about to die, but I'm going to take a little bit more of you with me. Um, but definitely he seems like defeated and, and, and done. And as the beast charges, it all of a sudden stops in kind of mid-charge and is clearly being held back by some force or other. Held aloft. Held aloft, exactly. Um, and we see that it is the child who's making this happen, and the Mandalorian is able to stab the creature, kill it, um, rescue the egg, or, or take the egg, give it, give it to the Jawas, who open it up to eat uh, a delicious snack that seems to be inside it. Um, and then the Mandalorian and uh, the child fly off into space to have their next adventure. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so what's what's kind of your overall take on this episode? You know, <clears throat> it's it's kind of shocking to see Jawas somewhere else. Yeah. Um, like at first, you know, not being, uh, you know, as as deeply rooted in the uh, in the the mythos, you know, I was like, oh yeah, Jawas, because you know it's desert, whatever, and and then like. It took a few minutes. I was like, "Wait a minute! This is a different planet." Yeah, <laughs> and you know, was kind of, kind of thrown, thrown back by that. But you know, I was immediately, uh, you know, put right back into it by our uh, our hero being a badass. Yep. Um, but then you know, th- this is also they seem to do this in this in this series so far. Both episodes so far, they they open it with him being a badass, and then. He kind of gets put into this like situation he has absolutely no control over, and gets kind of trounced a little bit, right? And and gets put on his ass, and then gets gets some assistance from Quill, <laughs> and then <laughs> like got to turn to Nick Nolte, got to level up, and then I can then I can go do the thing, um, or I you know go a different way about it because it seems like Quill is the uh, the guy that's teaching him, like, you don't always just have to run in and shoot something. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. I I really like this episode. It feels kind of like filler to me, but very good filler, although we do learn some good things. But be, because it is so repetitious of the plot of the first one, um, and, and you and I were talking about this beforehand, it I, it feels to me kind of like in a World of Warcraft or in a, um, you know, a, an RPG video game or anything like that where... You've got the main main quest chain, and they kind of need to fill it out some, so they throw in some quests that sort of advance the main chain but don't take you anywhere. The, like, you know, you need to give the apple to somebody, but to get the apple, you have to get the banana, and to get the banana, you have to give somebody the orange, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I, I haven't yep. played World of Warcraft in a while, but I remember a lot of those quests. Um, yeah. And, well, you always said the main one that, like, that took you to the quest hub. Yeah, exactly. And then you would get a bunch more in that area. And, you know, then you would do all those and then that would lead you into the, you know, the, the big, uh, you need a, a party to go into the, whatever, uh, the raid yeah. dungeon. Yeah. Into the dungeon of the area. And then you come back 
and finish that one. And then it's like, okay, now go to the next one or go back to the main city so that you can like really level up and get some real good gear. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, I mean, given that we're all going towards him getting the, the best car, hopefully to get better armor and better gear. Uh, this is very much an RPG style thing. Um, yep. But yeah, but and I, go ahead. I, I love it. I love that it follows that sort of kind of, or that sort of, uh, you know, we'll call it a story or just a format. Yeah. Like, I love that it follows that format so well. I mean, I I have, I know this is kind of a, a point of contention these days in, in geek media. Uh, obviously, I think the move towards more um, plot-driven story arc storytelling is great. But I, I like when it's a little bit episodic. Like, I like their, I, I, I like TV shows where, there is a main plot, and we're advancing the main plot, but there's also kind of a, a, a side, you know, a a plot of the week that we also have to take care of, and they're kind of balancing both. Um, especially because I like that it kind of shows you a day in the life sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. and that's that's this felt to me very much like a day in the life of a bounty hunter um, on a strange planet, you know, in a way that I I really liked, especially because I thought it did a really good job of feeling like an episode. But also not feeling like if you skipped this, you wouldn't miss anything because we actually learn quite a lot about all three of the main characters today. Queel, uh, the child, and especially Mando. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not like none of the episodes I would consider skippable. Yeah. Uh, just thinking back on it. I'd agree with that. But not all of them necessarily drive the the major main plot, like especially uh Episode four, if if I recall correctly, episode four doesn't really drive the the main plot very much, but you learn so yeah. much about the characters that you just absolutely cannot give it up. Yeah. So and, and this you know, this one does roughly the same thing. Yeah. And um in the very beginning you were you were saying that um he got ambushed by locals. They, those guys, uh, those Trandoshan warriors, as I'm reading, <laughs> were not actually they're not locals. Those were other bounty hunters. They had oh, the, the fobs on them. Okay. Oh, that's that's cool. I'm glad glad you saw that point because that also that that helps to answer one of the questions I had because I I do think one of the interesting things in this episode is we get to see just how ruthless Mando is. Um, and it's I I know you're a big MCU guy, so I'm wondering if you kind of feel this way. I was getting serious Punisher vibes here. I'm telling you, man. (laughs) I said it last time I was on. Like Mando Punisher is the thing because like you know. I get it more now if we know that these guys are a threat and they're going to attack again. But there's, to me, there's something a little, you know, not the most heroic about shooting a guy in the back and disintegrating him. Um, oh, yeah. And similarly, like, when he, or... when he comes across the Jawas stealing his stuff, like, <laughs> stealing's not great. I get that. And it can suck. And Yeah. I... But disintegration, though? <laughs> and, like, he doesn't, like just jump right in and be like, Hey guys, no, stop. And then like start shooting immediately. No, he goes down into sniper pose. He like <laughs> takes his time, lines up his shots and then starts blasting without oh, any attempt man. to be like, you know, Hey, I've got a rifle drawn. Give me my stuff back or I'm going to blow you all away. Um, yep. Yep. He just lays into him. And I, I don't know. I like, that's one of the things that I just absolutely love about the Mandalorian like he he takes no prisoners you know you screwed with him you and you 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 messed him up real bad by disassembling disassembling his ship yeah 
to the point of like not being able to use it. I would be pissed too. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think I like it because it tells me that the the Mandalorian is fundamentally a good guy. We saw that just in the fact that he's rescuing the baby and that he's developing a bond. Um, But he's also, I think, not a hero in the truth and certainly not in the Star Wars way. You know, Han Solo was presented to us as the kind of original anti-hero, but he's such a cuddly teddy. I mean, I, I have... I have friends who describe him as the grumpiest Hufflepuff you'll ever meet. Um, Cause he is, he like, he yep, always goes yep. back for his friends and like, you know, he shoots first. Um, I will forever believe that he shoots first and Lucas can go suck it. Um, but like, even there, he's clearly in mortal danger. I don't think that's even like that dark an act, but the fact that Lucas changed that really tells you like the original star Wars wasn't really comfortable with the idea of people not being, you know, lawful good heroes. And yeah. I don't think there's any doubt that the Mandalorian would shoot first. <laughs> and oh, I, yeah. I feel like there's an extent to which this character is kind of a like, you know what? We're in the Star Wars universe, but we're not telling a traditional Star Wars story. And I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, uh, that's one of the things that I loved about it from the very beginning is that like, yes, this is a Star Wars story, but there's not a lightsaber to be seen. This is, this is at like closest this is a western yeah this is a uh, a western in space it's actually closer to firefly uh, firefly yeah i'd agree with that and it's and oh go ahead he's our mal he's our mal and i i think actually mal is probably um probably a little more cuddly than this guy yeah i think i i i we're gonna see if that continues in the rest of the show but um i think i think you're definitely right there um the other thing I was going to say on that is um, I really love what you're saying because, like you said, there's, to me, I think it's very easy to forget. And I feel like the last movie especially made this mistake that it's only a tiny, tiny minority of people in this huge galaxy who, like you said, have lightsabers and, and have like, you know, are at the Battle of Yawin or at these like super important battles. And. I love stories that are about that day in the life. You know, it's why I um, I mentioned this last time. I really love some of the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I love, um, you know, other movies and TV shows from um, both both Marvel and DC, which are about, you know, what what's, what are the things that Superman would never notice, but that are still happening and are still in their small little worlds, very important things. Um, and yep. I really love that we're doing that here. Um, yep. Yep. A couple of questions came up for me as I was watching. And I'm wondering if you remember or you've read or have an answer. Um, do we know who was holding the child before the Mando came along? Because it, I feel like we kind of feel like the Mandalorian rescued the child. But watching it again, I'm realizing like he is sent to steal the child from the people who have it. And I don't know if we have any indication that they're not like treating it well. <laughs> Um, what I understand about it is that it, from what I recall, it was a gang yeah. that had, that had the child. Now, not to say that they were treating him poorly because they were a gang, but, uh, Gwil did say that, you know, them coming here has brought a lot of strife to my valley, a lot okay. of, a lot of conflict to my valley. So, you know, thank you for taking care of them and bringing peace to my valley. Right. So, so this isn't necessarily like 
the group that loves and worships this this the the Yoda people and wants to protect it from all the evil bounty hunters. This is the, <laughs> this is possibly someone else. It, it's sort of like two different people fighting over the same asset, both of whom want it for kind of nefarious purposes. Is that is that kind of more the take you have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I what I felt about it. And you know, the same thing happened with uh, the guys that he was ambushed by. Right. In the beginning of this episode, you know, they had the fobs. Yeah. Uh, so they were you know they were coming to take the the job, but. I guess they felt that it was easier to to take him out and get the kid than to take out the you know entrenched base. Yeah, that, that I mean that certainly it's an easy way to do it. You know, <laughs> wait yeah. till someone else does all the dirty just work kill and the then messenger just gank him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that didn't happen. They got disintegrated. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. And <laughs> I ask it especially because one of the things I think is interesting is how quickly Baby Yoda uh, or the child imprints upon Mando. I mean. It is very clear by the end of this episode that Yoda, the I need to stop calling him that, that the child, you know, feels <laughs> a strong affection towards Mando and and kind of is, you know, takes care of him. He tries to heal him early in the episode, which I guess Force users now have healing powers, which I didn't know, but they also say in the ninth movie, so I guess it's canon now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, they he actually didn't show that until the seventh episode. Yeah, uh, no, you actually see him. Tr- well. He tries. He gets close, and he gets keeps getting like he keeps putting him back. Okay, that's that's so right. Don't get back in your. Cradle. He's certainly trying. And again, let's be careful of spoilers. But you're right. That I I kind of may have done that myself as well. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good point. But it, it it's interesting to think of like what what was happening with Baby Yoda before, and there's obviously so many mysteries to to have with this. My other question is, how in the world are they controlling that cart? Like no, it's the it's the, he put it on follow. Okay, so and... it just has an auto follow feature. <laughs> I mean, it was weird that it, like it auto followed Mando, but then later Mando moved his hand in a particular way, and the the like space cradle shifted to the side right. so that the the mud horn wouldn't get him. Like <laughs> it, there's not like a there wasn't anything that like there were no defined rules that I that I saw from the beginning that I was like, okay, this follows those rules. Yeah, um, and I don't think they really care to <laughs> describe what the rules of the of the cradle are. And that's, I mean, that's very Star Wars. Like, there's a lot. Of, you know, we never actually get the science of. I mean, we do in like the the extreme books and the and the role playing game and stuff, but we never get like the the science of a lot of the stuff that happens. And when they do try to give us the science, often it's it's not that great. So I, I, yeah. I I'm okay with that. That's, sure. that's when we come down to midichlorians. Yeah, oh God! Oh God! Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see other other things that i picked up on and then i'll kind of uh, hear from some of your favorites but um i think we also learned that the mandalorian is a very bad negotiator um yeah oh god he's so like i love i love that about him i love that he is he's got a thing you know he's he's got this one thing that he's good at but everything else he's just kind of like meh yeah and it shows that he's not like you know the the perfect hero where he can just do anything and he's so great at all the things. Yeah. he's he's got flaws and negotiation is one of those flaws. Well, and and I I think you're right, and I think it also it tells us a lot about not just the flaws of him personally, but like an interesting I think kind of critique of Mandalorian culture. And maybe we'll learn more that not everyone's like him, but you know he says at one point he can't put his gun down because his gun is his religion. Um, yeah, weapons are my religion is what he says in this one. Like, I think the first time I saw that, I kind of didn't pay much attention. It just sounded a little bit badass. But watching it yeah. again, I'm like, what a dumb religion. <laughs> um, like, 
<laughs> and, and I'm sure that we're going to learn more about it and it's going to make more sense in some ways. Um, but A, I mean, I, I, I can't help thinking about the people in our own culture who are super gun-obsessed in problematic ways. But but even putting aside that, like, I think one of the best ways I can describe The Mandalorian is he is the hammer who sees everything as a nail. Like, he is very yes. well-trained in violence and apparently violence and weaponry is a part of his religion. And so he has that hammer-nail attitude of he looks at a problem and his first thought is, how can I use violence to solve this? Um, and right. like I said, I think it's really good that um, – I, I can't remember his name. Nick Nolte. Um, uh, Quill, thank you. Um, is able to be like, no, 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 calm down, calm down. Maybe we can solve this in another way. And it kind of still is with violence. He just has to do violence to a large creature. But, you know, at least it's not against the Jawas themselves. <laughs> Anymore. Yeah. I love that he's he and he wasn't apologetic about that either. He like in the negotiation, he's like, they're probably mad because I disintegrated several of them. Yeah. It's like, OK, <laughs> dude, like we get it. Like You were mad and you had the you had the means to like really screw them up like bad. But can we like you're trying to get your stuff back. Yeah. Like, calm down. Yeah. So I, I thought it's kind of a, like a really interesting sort of viewpoint into to where he's coming from. Um. And then I also just – maybe that stuff inside is like the absolute caviar of the Jawa palette, but giving back half a spaceship of valuable equipment for like a snack <laughs> seems a little strange to me. Um, and I'm sure there's more to it and maybe someone – one of our listeners who has read all sorts of things about Jawa physiology can tell me why that made sense. But – or maybe it was just supposed to be or like – Jawa culture. Yeah, or maybe it can just be like the Jawas are kind of dumb. I don't know. But it, it definitely was kind of eyebrow-raising of like, wait, that's what this was all about? Well, I, I think the, the major thing is that he had to go through that gauntlet. Like, the, the egg is a great thing, and that's, you know, and that's fine. But I think the major thing is they wanted to put him through hell. Mm. And after putting him through hell, because they knew how much of a, a pain to get the egg it would be, after him going, after he went through hell... You know, that's that's his payment is is the payback of almost dying. Yeah. And getting his uh, his chest plate really bad messed up. Like, I don't know how that was not in everybody's way. <laughs> OK, that that was that, ridiculous. That actually makes a lot of sense to me, especially because they given that he needed like, you know, child's magical uh, force powers to live. They may well have thought like we're going to offer this deal because there's no way he survives. And so we'll just get rid of a problem and get to keep the stuff anyway. Um, yeah. So yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and then if he, if he does make it back, we get an egg, Yeah. you know, we get to eat the egg. Win-win for the Jawas. So they're, they're actually pretty smart yeah, negotiators right? in, this, in this regard. Way better than he is. <laughs> um, what else? Did anything else kind of jump out at you about this episode that you wanted to get into? It was, it was weird. I thought that after all that, uh, all that, that fight and the the toughness with the the large horned beast uh, that I'm a, I guess it's called a mud horn. Uh-huh. Um, with all of that, and then like he's he's in his his like prayerful like okay, here's my here's my death. I'm about to die. Let me hold my knife up. When the when the child lifts the the creature up and he just walks up and just pokes it with the <laughs> with the knife and it dies uh-huh. i was like why couldn't you do that like around the side of it when it was hitting you before <laughs> or 
why can't while you're holding it up, you just kind of like rush back in and grab the egg and run? Right. <laughs> like, like a lot of things could have been done here. Yeah, I I get that. I get that. And I mean, I I, I hope that's something that gets explored more because. Certainly, I want to know more about that pose he goes into with the knife out. And I don't know if maybe there's kind of like a – is that considered like a warrior culture uh, – I was going to say if that's considered a warrior culture cheap shot, but then Mandalorians are like assassins and snipers. And they're, they're not about like let's have a noble fight on the sand of the, the arena. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting stuff. It's hard to say what uh, what it could have been. I couldn't see him emoting, so yeah. I don't know what uh, I don't know what his his thoughts were there. It, it's funny too because I have to say the actor is so good, and there's something about his posture that I I yeah. do often feel like he is emoting in various ways that I I kind of sometimes yeah. forget that we don't see his face, and I have to remember, oh oh no right that's right we're never actually seeing his face. <laughs> yeah, it's it's entirely body language, and Pedro Pascal just he. He speaks volumes with not having to say a word, and it's crazy how much we we can see through the mask. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I am so impressed by with the show, and this is just in this episode, you see it. You know, relation TV shows don't work unless there are strong relationships at their heart. You know, you need connection, you need commitment, you need um, you know, even as a uh, a strong relationship between two people who hate each other, you need emotional bond of some kind to carry a tv show and yep the the central relationship of this show are a character who never takes his mask off and a puppet who doesn't speak um and it, <laughs> i i think it says volumes about the show that i have such a a wealth and depth of feeling about the relationship between those two just from this episode and they, they, like, yep. they don't make faces at each other they don't talk to each other they just somehow manage to relate to each other in ways that, that come across. Yep. Yep. And you know, that, you know, recalling uh, that relationship just gets deeper as the show goes on and you care so much more Yeah, and more and more. And uh, the, they're, mm, this show, this show, <laughs> sir, is real good. It, it really is. It really is. And I've, you know, I tried to tell Matt on the MCU cast that like, this show is amazing. Like this is, this makes you care about two people. This makes you care about a lot of people in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons. And he's just like, meh. I'm like, yeah, get out of my <laughs> face with that. Meh. I, 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 you know, I know on the MCU cast, that's a, an issue that you guys have talked about a good deal. Um, I, I have sent in one very, very, very long voicemail to you all that I don't know if it's ever going to get played. Uh, trying to explain to him why I, I think he uh, he's wrong. But Matt has offered to come on this podcast every now and then for a, like five minute section at the end of you know try to convince Matt why Star Wars is good this time. Um, so maybe we'll get him on at some point for that. Um, yep that'll that'll be have or that'll have to be a uh, like a weekly recurring thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's like the five minutes of Matt. Because with, all, at the with end. all the time that we all have. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're going to say... We're just sitting around. And you for know. those who've just found us because you're Star Wars fans and you have no idea what the heck we're all talking about, um, Matt Carroll is uh, someone who uh, also runs a podcast with Jeff. Um, and he started the... Um, the uh, or as you and Jeff uh, together have started the... Um, the Stranded Panda Podcast Network that this podcast is a part of, and I'm going to say more at the end about those and how they all tie together. Um, just want to say that for anyone who just uh, Googled Star Wars, found our podcast, and is wondering what the world we're talking about. 
Um, so <laughs> what in the galaxy? Ah, uh, that too. That too. Um, yeah. So anything else before we dive into a spoiler section? Ah, uh, no, not for uh, not for non-spoiler stuff. Okay. So um, for anybody who's checking out now, thank you guys again so much for listening. Um, please leave a review. A uh, five-star review especially is great because it helps us get more people to hear this podcast. Um, but if you don't believe we're worth five stars and you want to tell us why, please do, and we can improve and keep keep getting better. Um, we also want to interact with you guys, the fans. Um Information about that, as well as about all the other podcasts uh, in the Stranded Panda Network and how you can find more of my work, more of Jeff's work, and more of the other uh, work of our great friends is all going to be in the show notes. Please check it out. Um, so with that, spoiler warning in three, two, one. Yoda actually can heal, we later find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the baby tried to heal him and he turned it down. Yeah. yeah. I... I will say, I think it's actually, I don't know yet. I don't think we ever learned this through all of season one. So I wonder if it, we're going to support it in season two. But I have a theory because the Mandalorian doesn't understand like what's happening when he reaches out like that. And the yeah. Mandalorian doesn't understand what, what is happening when, when uh, the child uses the force to stop the creature. And it, 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 it confirms for me something that I think is actually pretty cool, which is I think the Mandalorian has no idea who Yoda was and probably doesn't yeah. know that this thing looks like – like I'm guessing he at least has heard of the Force, um, but he might be in the kind of Han Solo, like it's just a weird religion idea. Um, but But he knows enough about the fight with the Empire that I think he knows that the Force at least exists and maybe that Luke Skywalker existed, but – I certainly think we get like he has no idea that a creature like who looks like this child was one of the strongest Jedi in the world in the in the galaxy. And I love that. I love that. It's not yeah. perfect information for everyone. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, just because of that, you can you can see that like he doesn't like he's not building this relationship with the child just to try to get on the good side of the future Yoda. Yeah. You know, he's not like, you can do something for me, so I'm going to be nice to you so that you're nice to me later. Like, he's not doing any of that. He's just doing the right thing by the child. Right. For the most part. Other than, you know, when he takes it back and... Almost sells it to... <laughs> to, to yeah, pretty much sells the child. You know, we'll talk about yeah. that. <laughs> but yeah, but, but I think it's right. I think we we do now know, having seen more of the show, that... It's not just that he has this random feeling for this random child. It's that he, he himself was an orphan, and he's part of a a really a religion and a he's culture a foundling. that yeah. that's built on the sponsoring of of foundlings of orphans. Um, and it, I I feel like knowing that actually puts this scene in a whole different light because now, I like I I watch everything he's doing, and I feel like he's just yeah. This is this is how he's been raised. This is how he's been taught, and in some ways the. I, I'm really curious to watch the next episode now because I feel like him trying to give the child back is kind of a rejection of his religion. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to yeah. play out in that episode. Yeah. But you like, if you remember that he was, he was so torn oh, yeah. about that decision. He was so broken up over it because he knew that that went against everything that he had been taught yeah. and, and everything that he knew of, of being a Mandalorian. So and not just like 
honestly, like if you when we were when we were first watching it, I was thinking, okay, it's just that he doesn't want bad things to happen to the kid. Right. But then later, when you learn like what happens to foundlings and how you know this is the way, you know, they when they get found, if they're able to to start learning the creed and and becoming a a soldier for you know Mandalore, so to speak. Uh, then they start training. Otherwise, they just get taken back to their people. Like, you go find that thing's people and give it back because it can't defend itself right now. Right. So when you when you see that happening, it's like, oh, oh, my God, that's so much deeper now. And there's so much more conflict. And, like, you could see it on his helmet that there was so much conflict in him. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it... And there's so much more now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really powerful, and it makes and I, huh? This is the thought that I actually hadn't had until this moment. But I'm wondering if, not like I, I, I think we know enough about the Mandalorian that he wouldn't leave the child in the hands of the Empire, um, even if he thought it was totally defenseless. But I wonder if part of why he starts to like because I think it's clear he starts to think of this child as a possible Mandalorian, a foundling, and I'm wondering if it's in part because starting in this episode he starts to see. This child is not helpless. It actually can defend itself. It can kick a little ass. And maybe that's when he starts yeah. to be like, yeah, this could be a warrior. This could be a Mandalorian warrior. Ugh. I love that picture that you sent me last uh, last week. Of, oh, yeah. <laughs> of the, the Yoda in, in Mandalorian armor. Yeah, I'll, oh, I'll put it up. It, it's exactly what Jeff and I were discussing on uh, last week's episode of it's Yoda, a little baby Yoda, a little baby child in the Mandalorian armor with the ears sticking out. And it's absolutely oh, adorable. It's perfect. It's so perfect. Yeah. It's everything I ever wanted. I, I think they need <laughs> to have Beskar to cover the ears for more protection. But, you know, still, it was super cute of an idea. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just heal himself. It will be fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They grow back. <laughs> <laughs> the Yoda race is part salamander, apparently. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit. It'll come back in a weird color, but it'll, you yeah. know, it just hasn't tanned yet. So it'll figure itself out. I'll, I'll also say, and this is kind of looking ahead towards season two, but I'm I'm normally the person who hates mysteries to be kept alive forever. You know, I want the shows to eventually start to tell me what's what. But right. And I, I certainly want that. I want to hear more about why the Empire wants this thing. I want to hear more about how it came to be. But there's, I don't know, I was thinking about this when you were just saying about like going back to its people. There's a part of me that loves that Yoda's origins have been kept such an utter and complete mystery for this long in the Star Wars universe. And I I kind of hope that that stays the same in this. I don't know if you feel the same way, but like I'd, I'd love to like have the curtain pulled back a little bit. But I don't know if I want to go to the, the Yoda Yoda um, species home planet. Um, did, does that make sense? You kind of see it differently or? Yeah, I mean, I could see that uh, you know, if we if we had the the curtain pulled back, we would just see that you know it's just this swindler, you yeah, know, cranking handles and and you know pushing plungers, like you know if we if we got <clears throat> if we got insight into the culture that Yoda comes from and why he speaks the way he does <laughs> and things like that, like if you if you if you have all of that exposed, it loses the novelty. Yeah. I think it's very true. So, you know, I I don't know if I, I don't know if I want them to to just open it up. I would I would prefer honestly that he be searching for these people for so long 
that the child just grows up with him and he's super old by the, by the end of it. And, you know, has passed on all of his Mandalorian ways. You know, this is the way or the way this is. Yeah. I, I, I can like that. And like, I like, (laughs) we're looking way ahead now, but like if force Yoda (laughs) were to appear in like the last episode of the last season, or even like the last episode of the second to last season, kind of like confirm, like, you know, this is one of my descendants, but there's no more. And he is a Mandalorian now. Like, I love that. Like, I'd love at least a little bit of that connection. But yeah, I don't I don't want to go back to the Yoda species planet or anything like that. Yeah, I, I want it to just not be known. Yeah, I mean, that could be pretty cool, too. I mean, we, um, you know, before the before the prequels came out, we thought Yoda is just this guy who lives on Dagobah. You know, maybe he's just that's where he's from yeah. is Dagobah. And then the prequels came out and it's like, oh, Yoda's on Coruscant. Like, what's he doing yeah. there? And there, I mean, certainly in in the uh, prequels, we also learn that there's at least one other Yoda species creature um, who I think is also a Jedi and has that like, he's like pink instead of green and a little bit taller than Yoda. Um, or it might be a she. I have no idea what that character's gender was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, this also gets and this is kind of a larger meta question, but. Because, again, this episode wasn't actually that deep. There's not too much to talk about, so I can throw this out here. Because um, I I think I, I want this to stay a small story. You know, I, I and I was thinking about this in terms of I don't want this story to be wind up be like we're right now in the period that, you know, was between movie six and movie seven. And obviously a huge amount happened, including the establishment of the Republic and then the establishment of the First Order. And I don't want this movie to be why all that happens. Like, I don't want there to be some, like, huge plot and we find out that it's actually, you know, um, Snoke who's behind trying to get the, the, the child or Ugh. something like that. Like, I would hate that. But I, would, I, yeah. would like, I wouldn't mind it if, like, over the course of this story, as just kind of, like, background we wind up learning more about the origins of the first order or like, you know, we, we hear people talking about how the Republic isn't bringing order and they kind of miss the empire or anything like that. Like, do, do you know what I Like, I, I, I'm wondering if you have that same kind of interest of like, I don't want Snoke, but I want like a little bit more of that filling in the time period of how we get from the end of Jedi to the start of force awakens. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we, uh, when the force awakens came out and we, you know, we went to the theaters and then the first order is a thing. And I was like, um, am I the only one that's like, how, how did this happen? Yeah. Because I remember at the end of six, you know, the, the empire's done. Yeah. The death star got blown up or the new death star got blown up and everybody was happy that the empire is over. Um, yeah. And now these guys are here. It, it was definitely my biggest frustration with Force Awakens because I was super excited for a movie that was now our good guys are in control, are in control. They're in charge. They're running a republic. And there's this like rebel group now that's running around trying to do terrible things. And they're trying to figure out, like, how do you fight a group like that while maintaining democracy? Like, that's the story I want. I wanted to see, like, the rise of the First Order and... How does it eventually become necessary if there'd be a resistance that's not the Republic? But um, we just we never saw that. I never quite understood why. Yeah, well, I mean, we just had to completely rehash 
A New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> Which I understand palate cleanser after the prequels, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll be watching each of those <laughs> movies, and we'll, so we'll definitely get to that. Um, yeah. Any other kind of last thoughts on this episode or, um, or, or sort of what, what this episode now tells you now that you know the whole larger story? Hmm. I uh, I found it interesting that uh, Quill has a history. Yeah, and Quill has a backstory, and I want to know more about Quill's backstory. Even though you know he's gone, I I think that there's room for little baby Nick Nolte to come up. Yeah, maybe in a in another series. That'd be especially because um, he, and this we don't learn much later until uh, Kara comes back to that planet with him, but knowing that he actually worked for the empire and that he yes. that but that he did it kind of as a slave and he feels guilty about well he it's interesting he feels like he's not happy he did it but he also doesn't feel guilty because he feels like i had to do this yep. i paid my debt i am done i'll never go back there again um yep. that's such a rich story right there and yeah i i would love it if we it? got some more of that oh man like there's so Oh, there's so much there. There's so much just juiciness there that is just waiting to be dug up. And it, uh, it, it, we just go ahead. We lost him too it, soon. Too soon. We lost it, It's him. funny because I made that joke at the beginning about this being kind of like a, an RPG or a wow type game. But the more I think about it, the more apt that seems because I like my 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 partner and I both love to play games like that. And we kind of pass the joystick back and forth between us. We did. um the Spider-Man game, we did um, uh, the most recent Final Fantasy, and most recently now we're doing Divinity. Um, but it's funny because I just want to focus on the main plot. And every time we go to a new area, there'll be all these little, like, you know, threads that are like, oh, hey, do you want to learn all about, like, the, the wildlife in this area? Or do you want to learn all about, like, the weird political infighting happening in this particular city? And, you know, she loves to, like, pull on those threads and go on all those side quests and learn all about that rich flavor and i that's Mm -hmm. kind of what this is like this to me feels like a fantastic game where we're getting all these little threads of like you know this guy who used to work for the empire and the 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 bounty hunters who had yoda before and the you know yet another planet with a huge animal on it for biological reasons that are never explained um (laughs) and i mega yes and like i i think i'm glad we're focusing on the main plot but i also want to pull on all the, those threads you know um yeah so yeah i i would love it if we get more like novelizations and and things that kind of build out this world even further but there's you know it also makes me feel like i hope we get five more seasons of this um as well as other yeah. shows set in this world that get to just show how interconnected this universe is yeah yeah i was uh i was excited when uh when i had heard that there was going to be an obi-wan kenobi um series and you know just kind of about him and his time yeah uh, away because you know there's a long span of time where he gets old and turns into a different person um <laughs> a different actor entirely yeah, that's definitely true uh, <laughs> and you know uh, apparently that's been what indefinitely shelved if i'm not mistaken i think so and i i don't know if this is true but i think in part it is that um there are a couple of uh obi-wan books that were written that are also star wars westerns and um in part because they're set on Tatooine and it's a desert planet, but also just like he's very much kind of like the lone Jedi. Um, and my understanding is that they started with that idea and then decided not to go that route, but still were in love with the idea of a Star Wars Western 
And so the Mandalorian kind of took its place. Um, yeah. So I don't know if we will get that, but maybe. I mean, I think it would certainly be another, you know, an interesting way to fill in more of the gaps of what was happening in that time. Yeah. I don't necessarily need another Star Wars Western. I just, you know, I, I was excited about more world building yeah. and and more, you know, kind of fleshing out. Because, like, we've, you know, the the Skywalker line of you know the skywalker story is done it's over i'm done with it i'm i'm okay putting that to and bed. the palpatine story I, i'm very okay putting that to and bed. You know, the palpatine story didn't need to be even brought back <laughs> also but agreed but yeah we'll, we'll talk about that and on a later episode <laughs> but you know i i'm i want more of the rest of this of this galaxy because yeah. there's so much to it i mean you know, like we said in in the last episode, you know, I I played the Old Republic, um, the the Bioware MMO, and just loved all of the all of the different stuff that you got to to read about and and go and explore and see and like I want that I want to I want this to do that, yeah. and I think that I think that this show can, but you know, there's there's probably room for other stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be like you know, the, the old Western style that this one is, but you know, there's other genres. Yeah. I, I, I hope you, I hope that is true. I will say though, that especially after this last movie, I'm, I think they need to get a John Feige to run things for that to happen. And, and granted John Feige is making the show. So maybe we're moving that direction. But what I mean by that is that what has made Marvel so good and what has, I think, also made Star Trek so good to know Star Trek also like there's a Star Trek Bible in which is just written down like any time our heroes encounter any particular race, it is written down in this book and as well as everything we learn about it so that if some other writer wants to take our characters back to that race, they have to stay consistent. And the consistency isn't perfect, but they certainly try very, very hard to be incredibly consistent in a way that I feel like nothing had done before Star Trek and nothing else really since has done except for Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think one of the major failings of the last three movies was that they didn't have that. They didn't have someone saying, okay, you know, Abrams and Johnson, you guys have to be on the same page and also hear the guidelines you both have to follow. Um, and so I'd, I'd be a little nervous if we start getting more shows and like, you know, someone says, okay, well, the Mandalorian established the world is kind of like this, but actually I'd much rather have it more like this, you know, I, but as long as we can have someone who's working to give us that, you know, consistency across all the, the new Star Wars media. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I want to see all the new stuff. That unified vision. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that, uh, that we talk about it, you know, in comparison to the MCU, John Favreau is the director of the first Iron Man and the second Iron Man movie. Uh, and then Kevin Feige kind of, you know, became the main executive producer that was kind of the, the, um, the full, uh, you know, the, his, he had this united or unified creative vision for, you know, the whole universe and everything. John Favreau wrote and, uh, was showrunner for this, the, the Mandalorian and Kevin Feige has been put on, you know, creating some other Star Wars content. So we might get... Kevin Feige and John Favreau working together to start up a great I mean, uh, cinematic universe. That would again. be fantastic, you know. And I, um, like, yeah, I think I missed. A, I think I said that uh, Feige was the one who was helping to write this, and you're right, it's Favreau. Um, 
it's really annoying that they have the same last such close last names one of them should really change it um but um <laughs> but you're right like i think if we just have like someone who is at the helm and someone who's making sure to say like okay you're writing this new show and you want to take a character to this planet well remember that we went to this planet on this episode of this other show and you have to stay consistent to what happened there and i i know that that is like you know that is hampering some writers and directors and i uh you know you and matt have talked about this a lot that sometimes particular writers or directors don't want that and wind up you know walking off um i think like the uh, one of the people who's helping to run the new the new Doctor Strange movie left in part because of that kind yep. of thing. And I, I, but I, I have to imagine that there are a lot of writers who are going to say like, okay, you're going to somewhat limit the story I can tell, but I get to write a Star Wars story. Sign me right. up. <laughs> right. Like I can follow rules. <laughs> yes, sir. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know. So yeah. Like I'm really good at fighting or following rules. <laughs> yes, sir. I will march in step. So at this point, I think we're pretty far afield. So uh, any last things on this episode before we close out? Uh, Not for this episode. Um, Just, you know, excited to watch the series again because it was so good. I'm I'm, I'm really glad we're doing this because I think it's a really fun way to kind of – I am finding that there's just so much on TV that I'm not sure I would have watched The Mandalorian again anytime soon if I hadn't had a reason to. Um, And I'm – finding that i'm getting so much like there's some shows that you watch once and that's fine there's some that if you watch it a second time now that you know the big reveal you get so much more out of and and i definitely feel like i'm I'm doing that with this show so this is a lot of fun yeah especially with with talking to somebody about yeah. it uh you know having the the other person's insight is uh so helpful to you know kind of flesh out your own ideas definitely definitely well <clears throat> and and jeff thank you for that but also to all of our fans um we hope that you're getting that same feeling listening to us, but we want you in the conversation as well. Um, if you have thoughts, if you have ideas, if you um, there's stuff in this episode that we missed or uh, things that we said that you agree with or that you think we're totally off base on, let us know. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter page, uh, both under the name uh, Star Wars Universe Podcast. Um, as you can imagine, there's 8 million things called Star Wars Universe, so make sure you type in Star Wars Universe Podcast. Um we have both a Facebook page and a Facebook group because Facebook is kind of dumb. Um, the group you have to ask to be invited to join, but I will uh, accept anybody. Um, if your you know, profile pic is a swastika, no, but everyone else, you're, you're welcome in. <laughs> um, but it, it's a got to change my yeah, exactly. picture now. Um, but it's a great place to, uh, uh, to join and to, to be part of the discussion or just comment on our Facebook page or tweet at us or any other great ways to get in touch with us. We also have an email all that's going to be in the, the show notes. Um, as mentioned before, this podcast is part of the Stranded Panda Network. Um, Jeff, you're, um, I think it, it, that's much more you and Matt's baby than mine. So do you want to just say 10 seconds about what that network is? Sure. Uh, the Stranded, Stranded Panda Podcast Network is a collection of uh, nerdy podcasts where any fandom is welcome, really. Uh, because, you know, as a, as a nerd... You're often in a, a sea of non-nerds and you feel kind of stranded. And in in typical nerd fashion, a lot of times we're not necessarily the uh, the most, you know, physically normal people. <laughs> you know, it's part of being ostracized. Uh, or maybe it's the reason that people are ostracized. Or you could look absolutely normal. Either way, you may feel like a panda, but a <laughs> I'm panda push back on the word alone... normal, but yeah, sort of more, more conventionally attractive by certain standards. Sorry, I, yes. I am a, you know, that's, you, 
That's what I meant. You, you, you me, and Matt are all um, gentlemen of cuddliness. I think is a good way to phrase it. We are um, <laughs> not not stick figures, yep. and the panda is an animal that well represents all of us. Yes, absolutely, and you know it it can represent you know stranger in a foreign land if yeah. you know if it's stranded somewhere. So you might but, just really love bamboo, ever, and then you're a panda too. You know, we'll make a podcast about that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that, that's a great description of it. And, and we're moving towards having a website. Um, Matt just put to get put out a really great album that I'll, I'll say more about in a second. Um, and you should definitely check out. But I know his next big project is going to be getting the website up. So we'll soon have a website. But I would just say for anybody who, if you really enjoy this kind of conversation of two fans or, or multiple fans diving deep into a property, um, definitely check out some of the other Star Wars, uh, some of the other Stranded Panda um, properties. There's... um. My other podcasts, one of which is Superhero Ethics, which is a little bit different because it focuses specifically on ethics in, in geek media, but certainly was, I, I, Jeff, I've said it was very much inspired by what you and Matt do. Um, and my other podcast is the um, Orville uh, Universe podcast, which is very much like what you and I are doing here, but about the TV show The Orville. Um, other podcasts in the network are the, the kind of granddaddy of them all. The, the two that really started things is, uh, Jeff, you and, you and Matt have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which does this with all of the Marvel properties and does just um, you guys uh, manage to always have something out like three hours after it hits the theater, which I, I, I both love and hate because I can't wait a day Same. or two to go to the, to go see something. I have to see it opening night because it also miss out on what you guys have to say. Um, so it's very annoying in that way. <laughs> um, but it's because it's, it's, you guys always have such great things to say. So that one, and then around the same time, I think friends of Matt's, I'm not, I'm not sure if Jeff, they're also friends of yours. Um, but also started the DC on screen podcast, which is another fantastic one for all the DC properties. Um, other than that, also there is the star Trek universe podcast, the who watches the Watchmen podcast. Um, uh, and a, a num- who watched number of other Watchmen. great ones. And we actually just recorded our first episode of binge. This, the, uh, the one that's focusing on sequel. Nice. Culture. Oh, that's awesome. I'm really looking forward to hearing that and being a part of some of that too. Um, so please check out all of that. Also, for any of you who are music fans, um, Matt Carroll, the guy we keep talking about, has gone a little off the deep end musically with his new Star Trek podcast. Um, <laughs> he got inspired. Uh, they did a whole bunch of episodes kind of getting ready for the new Picard show. And then he wound up actually writing a song about each of them as a like tribute to Picard. Uh, a lot, a, they're really great music. Some of them I, I absolutely love. Um, and he, he goes to a whole bunch of different genres of music, which I think is really impressive. And, and some of them really in the lyrics, um, really get at the heart of what makes some of the Star Trek episodes so powerful as well as being great songs. So definitely check that out. I believe the album is called Earl Grey Hot. Um, and that will also be, uh, <laughs> again, a reference to Picard, uh, that will also be in the show notes. Um, so, uh, Jeff, thank you for being here. Uh, Ricky and Sarah, look forward to having you guys on pretty soon. And then, uh, Jeff will have you back. Thank you guys to all of our fans and to everybody. Have a good day. I have spoken. <laughs>